God, we come before your throne room, of course, grateful that we can, grateful that because of the blood of your son, Jesus, we have this ability to have a relationship with you. And God, as we go forward presenting your truth this morning, allow it to be you that's speaking and nothing else. Allow me to become less. Force me to become less so that you can become more. God, for those unable to make it this morning because of sickness or health, I pray that you bless them. I pray that you give them an ability to worship you truthfully. As, of course, we know that your church is not limited to a building, but where two or three are gathered. And God, we say thank you for the freedoms that you give us as a nation to be able to proclaim your truth, to be able to open up a Bible without looking over our shoulders. God, forgive us for the times that we have taken that for granted. God, use this message, allow it to be glorifying to you. Save a soul this morning, if it be your will. As has been on my heart all week, our soul truly is restless until it finds rest in thee. God, remind us of that. For the person that is here that is depressed, that is anxious, help them to taste and see that the Lord is good that his steadfast love, that your steadfast love endures forever. God, give a glimmer of hope to the one that's lost. God, to the one that's hurting, provide a shoulder to lean on. Show them your goodness. Allow each one of us to leave this place today more motivated to share of your gospel boldly. Not just sharing it, but sharing it with love, with grace, that is truly imitating of who you are. So, Lord, we say that we love you, we thank you, it's in your Son, Jesus' name we pray, amen. You know, it's so easy to believe that if things are going well in your life, if, if you are obedient to Christ, if you are in the midst of his will for you, that you won't suffer. And then on the flip side, you begin to think that if God is displeased with you or your decisions, suffering will come alongside of it. You can see where we're going this morning. But as we're going to read... Peter writes that the degree to which we suffer has no correlation to the depth of our obedience to Christ. I'm going to say that again. It's going to be a theme throughout this entire message. The degree to which we suffer has no correlation to the depth of our obedience to Christ. A very godly man once was very wealthy. This man had a giant farm with many, many healthy and productive animals. He had a beautiful home with a beautiful wife and a great number of children, servants running to and from. This whole city knew who this man was and respected him. 
and held him in high honor. He was a faithful man. He was a godly man. He was an obedient man. Arguably the most obedient. But as the story goes, this man and his family were dining one evening, and there came a messenger. And he said, the oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them. And a group of robbers fell upon them and took them and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword. And I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, there came another and said, the fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them. And I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, there came another and said, The Chaldeans, or another group of robbers, for, another group of robbers for, formed three groups and made a raid on the camels and took them and struck them down, the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was yet speaking, there came another, and he said, Your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house, and behold, a great wind came across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house, and it fell upon the young people, and they were dead, and I alone have escaped to tell you. Many of you are familiar with this, as this is the introduction of the book of Job. One minute, Job is in his beautiful home with his family, and the next, he has neither. And Job, too, then continues on to tell about a, a sickness that, that overcame him, causing him to become unclean, and the town and the people of, of who it went, what absolutely nothing to do with Job. He was once held in high esteem. Now the people want nothing to do with him. All of this, and then his wife eventually says to him, curse God and die. But instead, as I would say is the climax of the story, Job says this, though he slays me, I will have hope in him. In other words, no matter the harm, no matter the misery, no matter what it is that God allows to happen to me, I will never lose my hope that is in him. It wasn't long after this suffering began that the joy of Job's life was restored. If you listen to Job 42, it says this, And the Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than the beginning, and he had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, and 1,000 female donkeys. My farmers in the room are saying amen. He also had seven sons and three daughters. And the list goes on with how blessed Job's family was because of the way that the Lord restored him. This is a beautiful picture of the way that God blesses those who persist through suffering. Those who keep the faith, those who continue to look to the Lord, those that do not waver from obedience to Him have eternal blessing 
waiting for them. Now wait. Don't be confused. This reward is seldom on this side of eternity. But rather it's in heaven. And it's a reward for that, that for those who have truly put their faith in Christ, they, they will receive this reward when they cross over from glory to glory. There is not one bit of suffering that does not have a purpose. Everything that God allows you to go through, Peter writes, you will be blessed because of it. Peter provides encouragement and wisdom, as we're about to read here, as to how these Christians can persist amidst persecution and suffering. And it really is just as applicable today compared to when it was written. So if you will, turn with me. First Peter, we're in chapter 3. If you're new with us this morning, you know that we are working our way through the book of First Peter. It's a book written to Christians in the midst of persecution at a time where persecution is getting worse. The believers are fleeing from it. And they're staying obedient to Christ. And that's where Peter is reminding them and encouraging them to do so. 1 Peter chapter 3 is where we're at this morning. I'm going to be looking at verses 13, and we'll, we're going to go all the way to 17, but I'm going to take it in um, bite-sized pieces. Let's do verses 13, and, and the, you know what, let's do the first half of 14 as well, not the whole verse right now. It says this, Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Point number one is this: God is ever present amidst suffering. Those of you that have been through it know the truth behind this. God is ever present amidst suffering. Being zealous or a godly eagerness to do good does not take away persecution, but it takes away the valid reasoning for it. We often hear the words, and I've heard this so many times in my walk with the Lord, God has a target on my back, or demons are within me, I have become possessed, God has allowed this to happen. You know, I have no place to determine whether or not this whole target on my back thing is accurate. Though I can assure you that you are not and cannot be possessed by the enemy or his demons if you have truly been transformed by the Holy Spirit. Can I get an amen to that? Amen. But oftentimes God allows attacks from the enemy because he wants to walk with you through a season where you become more fully dependent on him whether it's financially speaking, maybe it's extreme loss, the, the removal of something that you once held so dear to your heart. God doesn't like to compete. 
He's a jealous God. God doesn't allow demons to follow you, but he, he does allow your faith to be tested because it's through these seasons of testing that you see Jesus like you never have before. Not to get us off track, but Peter puts attention to suffering leading to blessing. And this is so true. When you are in the midst of this suffering, when you are on your knees day after day to the point that they are blistering, when your soul is crying out to God to the point that you don't even know how you still have a voice, you realize that once you get through it, God has never been closer to you. Some of you are shaking your head from experience. And though you never want to return to this degree of suffering, you do want to once again be able to enter into his presence in a way that is so evident and it's straight up real. There's just no other way to put it. You end up looking back once you get through that season and you say, God, thank you. Thank you for allowing me to go through this because I am now able to witness you work in my life like I never have before. You know, when God said that he will never leave you nor forsake you, he meant it. When he said, fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. It was and it still is true today. As the American dream slowly but surely becomes more and more difficult to attain. As the freedoms that we once took for granted come to pass, while the, the things of this world seem to get stripped out of our hands because of lawlessness and, and power-hungry leaders, we, we look up and can be confident that our joy comes not from the things of this world, but from the God who holds the world in the palm of his hand. Suffering is not the outcome of our lack of obedience, but often the result of following Jesus with everything we have. But as this comes, remember the fa very famous words of Jesus. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. My friend, our first point is God is ever present amidst suffering. God is ever present amidst suffering. Someone give me an amen this morning. Amen. Let's look at the last part of verse 14 all the way through 16. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. That's referring to those that are persecuting. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. Point number two, our testimony is the motivation Amidst suffering, our testimony is the motivation amidst suffering. 
Peter writes to the believers in persecution that they are not to shy away from their testimony in the midst of the harm that's coming. Let me assure you that there may come a day where each and every one of us will fully understand what this suffering looks like and this persecution looks like. As these believers were scattered to avoid suffering and and they're still able to witness in the midst of it, Peter was warning them of the persecution that was to come and that persecution was going to be unavoidable. Just as Nero's persecution was beginning to ramp up, Peter wanted to remind these Christians that they must hold to their testimony. You're saying, well, how is this applicable to us today? We're not going through any persecution as a nation. The issue is that that way of thinking is all part of this authoritative agenda that's being pushed. Now, I want to tell you right off the bat, I, I, I'm not, I am not a conspiracy theorist. You know that when someone leads with that, you're going to be like, oh boy, where's he going? Okay. I'm not. I don't watch the news. We've never had cable throughout our entire marriage. The, the way that I get my news is through social media outlets, unbiased blogs, and both sides of the political spectrum's media outlets, and then I use this to discern what is real and what is fake. And as I put my Bible of higher priority than any media outlet, it's very interesting what you begin to see once you put it through your truth-filled filter. You read all throughout the Old Testament about nations prioritizing pride and idolatry. And then soon after, the Lord causes this nation to fall. You read of Nation after nation refusing to claim the Lord as their king of kings. And it's not long after that that the nation loses power. So you read this all throughout the Old Testament and you study this. And then you go and turn on your news outlets or whatever you use to get your news. And see a nation putting a person of political power on a pedestal. And essentially worshiping this person. And going, and, and going even further, this powerful politician feeding off of this atten- attention and, and then making claims like help is on the way. And then the people start to believe that. The help is coming from this person. And this is not even close to the beginning. We then go to the grocery store and start looking at each other because the prices are way too high to be able to afford a, a standard of, of living that, that is encouraging of the middle class. This isn't something that I see in the news. This is what I see in the grocery store. And it's all part of a larger agenda to separate the nuclear family, therefore isolate the people to depend on this government that thrives off power. And in the process, the middle class is completely wiped off the map, forcing the lower class to be at the mercy of the upper class and those in power. All because the people put their faith into a person taking their eyes off of the true king that gave them the freedom to begin with. You see, you think of suffering and think of the nations across the ocean and the believers there claiming allegiance to Christ even though they got a knife at their neck. But then you look out your windows here in our own towns and you see how quickly and quietly 
It begins. Peter is continuing to remind the followers of Jesus that even though this persecution is just around the corner, they are to never forget their testimonies and hold to it when the worst of it is right in front of them. I once heard a story of a, of a missionary lady that was held captive in the Middle East because of her faith in Christ and, and her passion to share the gospel with Muslims. Now, keep in mind that, that where she was ministering, it was, it was a very hostile area, the kind of place where, where Christians are killed solely because of their faith. Well, this woman was in prison with a bunch of other Christians in the same area and the same demographic and geographic location. And, and though they were separated by cellar, well, this one particular woman was grabbed and, and those holding her captive put a towel over her face so that she could not see. And then they brought her in front of the other missionaries that were also in prison and held her up to them and said, see, look, she's going to be released because she just denied her faith in Jesus. You know what this woman said behind this towel? She said, no, I did not. She had the option to be released from prison because of a lie, and she refused to admit to that to be true. She would rather rot and die in prison and hold to her faith than deny him and be free. And, and, and I hate to, to say this, the, the outcome of her response was not a positive one. She ended up having to lose her life in prison because of this. But let me assure you this, that if she, if we could speak to her today, she would tell you that she would do it all over again. Why? Because our testimony is the motivation amidst suffering. There is eternal reward waiting for us. One that is beyond what our minds can comprehend. Verse 17. <clears throat> for it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. Suffering right bears eternal fruit. Suffering right bears eternal fruit. That's our third point for this morning. There is nothing that will keep us from suffering on this side of eternity. Nothing. And trust me, I say that with a heavy heart. As just about everyone here knows from experience, suffering, like we said, comes from many forms. The loss of a close relative, sickness, governmental persecution, disagreements with your spouse, a child that just won't listen, no matter the tactic that you use. Suffering isn't fair. Suffering is not fun. And suffering is definitely not easy. But here's the hope. It's that the God that is in complete control of all things that gives us peace amidst the worst of suffering because his peace is not based on our circumstance, but on our faith. This is the reason why no matter what comes in this life, we don't look straight ahead and become hopeless. 
but rather we get on our knees and we remain hopeful that there is no suffering that comes without reward. Matthew 5:10 says this, and these are, these are the words of Jesus. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Jesus flips this whole philosophy on its head. He says, when suffering comes, be glad. Because you are building up your storehouses in heaven. And my friend, let me tell you that the one treasure, that one treasure in the storehouse of heaven is greater than all of the world's treasures combined. It's going to be so worth it. Horatio Spafford was a successful, successful lawyer and businessman in Chicago with a lovely family. He had a wife named Anna and five children. This family was very familiar with the depths of suffering. Their son died with pneumonia at a very early age. And in the same year, much of their business was lost in the great Chicago fire. But God had his mercy, God in his mercy and his kindness allowed the business to flourish again. He gave back what he took away. Now, just two years later, the, a French boat was crossing the Atlantic from the U.S. to Europe with 313 passengers on board. Among the passengers were Horatio's wife and their four daughters. Although Mr. Spafford had planned to go with his family, he found it necessary to stay in Chicago to deal with business matters. He told his wife he would join her and their daughter in Europe a few days later. His plan was to take another ship a couple days after. Well, just a few days later, Mr. Spafford received a letter from his wife who was on the ship with his four daughters, and it read these four simple words. What shall I do? Sorry, six words. Saved alone. As Mr. Spafford began to piece together the details of what happened, he booked ship to join his grieving wife, the only surviving member of his family. While he was crossing the ocean, he received a call from the captain of the ship that he was to report to the crew's cabin. <clears throat> Mr. Spafford was then made aware that they were in the exact location that the ship containing his family went down. In other words, they were currently sailing directly above the bodies of his daughters. Devastating. Mourning. Alone. Grieving. Sad. He wrote these words. When peace, like a river, 
attendeth my way. When sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well with my soul. As you face suffering, and as we as a church take on suffering that is to come, we can look towards heaven and say with confidence, it is well with my soul. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the peace that you provide that really isn't based on our circumstances but on what you have done for us. And God, for the soul that's here, that's suffering even today, show your faith. Lord, this person has been on their knees crying out to you for some time. Lord, show your goodness. God, remind them that the outcome isn't isn't to, de isn't to deter them from what you have called them to. God, again, I ask for you to show your faith. Suffering is not easy, but as you have shown us, it's worth it. We hold true to that promise. And God, use this as a, as a reminder to us as a church that It's not the outcome that we look for, but rather it's our faith in you that remains evident throughout. And God, as we continue to be pushed to and from, allow us to stay on your straight and narrow, to stay obedient to you and your call in our lives and the Great Commission. Lord, we say, that we are so thankful for your cross. For sending your son Jesus Christ to earth to die on the cross for our sins, but not just dying, rising again three days later so that through faith in him we can have eternal life. It's in his name we pray. Amen.